All right, God bless you as you make your way back to your seat. If you would remain standing just for a moment in honor to the Word of God, we're going to go to the Scripture. I want to take you to the Old Testament. We're going to take a little journey together here. I keep wanting to say this morning. We're going to take a little journey this afternoon. And uh, you're going to want to stick around after. We've got a, uh, some, some pork that's going to make you want to slap your grandma. <laughs> is that good? It's just... Is that good? That was a metaphor, by the way, because we got some grandmas in the house that we don't want that to happen to. It's just good. That's what I'm trying to say. It's going to be good. Got some games planned. You'll hear a little direction at the end of our service, so please stick around. And if you're new here, we'd love to make some new friends. All right? Exodus chapter 1. Say amen when you're there. Wow, that was weak. (laughs) Well, I suppose it's not on the screen. Y'all lazy, you can't even open up your phone? I mean, gee, bring a Bible, man. You can even get it on your phone. Exodus chapter 1, all right. I want to go to Exodus uh, 1, and we'll start reading at verse number 8, and we'll go through verse 14, then we'll uh, go over in the second chapter. The book of Exodus, the word Exodus, literally, it means an exit. It means an exit. It means a departure from. And this is a book about God's divine and miraculous hand upon an entire group of people and him liberating them and setting them free. I think the context is very fitting in alignment with our service here today about freedom. So uh, let's go there together. Exodus 1 and 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, the Bible says, which knew not Joseph. Say, that's bad news. That's bad news because Joseph was a mighty, powerful influencer in a positive way for all of these people. There's another generation that comes up. The people had grown in the land of Israel or in the land of Egypt. And this king rises up that does not know Joseph. And he, that king, said unto the people, notice, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. A degree of intimidation by the growth of of the people of Israel in the middle of Egypt. He said, come on, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities. They became slaves, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Their lives were very, very difficult because of the bondage that they were in. But can I tell you that in the middle of the bondage that was percolating in this nation for a period of time, there was a God at the same time that was interested in their liberation. We need to thank God for that. Chapter 2 Verse 23, and it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel, notice, they sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. They sighed and they cried, 
And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. It was a setup. I want you to know sometimes God will set us up. And some of you are smiling, but. And it can be painful. We got some people been set up here. But the good news is that God wants to liberate. He wants to set free. Jesus, thank you for the word. The word is powerful all by itself. We pray for anointing, unction, blessing. Let every heart give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive and understand. And I pray your will would be done as the word is preached. In Jesus' name I pray. God bless you. You may be seated. We're going to talk about freedom for a while this morning. And uh, freedom, there are all kinds of freedom. And we who live in America, I really hope that we understand the benefits of freedom. There is a move in our world today that's happening, particularly in our country, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there is a move in our country that at its heart is a deep, deep sense of a lack of appreciation for the liberty and the freedom that we have to be able to live our lives in freedom. I think I'd like to go to some universities and give people a one-way ticket to North Korea. I'd like to introduce you to a guy named Kim Jong-un, and he could be your God. And that's what, that's what he wants to be in the hearts and minds of the people. The people that have escaped out of North Korea and out of fierce communism have said literally they are taught since they are little, little babies and children that the great leader, he can read your mind and read your thoughts. And they put, they put these children and they put the nation in this incredible sense of fear and domination. And yet here we live in a country today that you, can, you could get up this morning, come to church, raise your hands, sing and shout and mention the name of Jesus without any fear of reprisal. You don't have to worry yet about the Gestapo showing up at your front door and knocking and asking you the question, are you a Christian? And you ought to thank God for that. That's one form of freedom that, that people have, political freedom. We have a constitution in the United States of America that guarantees certain rights to people. And man, I don't even think that we realize how much we're breathing in freedom and, and living in an environment of freedom. And, and man, I, I'm just, I'm thankful to be where I am. I am patriotic. I think that's a good thing that we ought to get back to a little bit. United States of America is not God, but we are thankful for the freedoms that we have. Freedom of expression, freedom to worship God. That's what, what this country was founded on. And you know what? That's one form of freedom that I think is a wonderful freedom that we ought to thank God for. It says, all men were endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we have that freedom to do that. And what a blessing. To those that don't appreciate it, I think it becomes very easily lost. But we thank God for that kind of freedom. There's another kind of freedom that people can have is a freedom from addiction. 
And we heard some testimonies here today, and if we had time, we could pass the microphone around and we could hear from dozens of people in this building here today that used to be addicted to nicotine or addicted to methamphetamines or addicted to alcohol or addicted to things that, isn't it funny that it always over-promises and under-delivers? That when you're young, it's all about the fun time that you can have partying, and it's fun, 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 until it's not fun anymore. I've, I've, I've been on the streets of Stockton, California, witnessing to people who had spittle in their beard and crazed look in their eyes, bloodshot red eyes, and heard the stories of people that they did not know that when they took the first drink that they took, that it was going to lead them down a fateful pathway to oblivion and the loss of their sanity and the loss of their family and the loss of their money and their loss of their, their sense of dignity and self-respect. And there they are because... That's what those things promise in the beginning. They promise a good time. In the end, they just, they don't long-term deliver that. So there's something to be said about freedom from addiction. Thank God. You don't have to be bound to pills. You don't have to be bound to, to different kind of drugs. You don't have to be bound to things that you say, I can't live one single day without them. And that is a fabulous, wonderful type of freedom that, that we can have. There is financial freedom. Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Not quite there yet. But the Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. And you know, you can, some people have all different kinds of addictions. They smoke it, drink it, snort it, all that. Some people have an addiction of spending money. And then the bills come due. And then you're buried in debt. And then you are servant to the lender. And you got to work more hours. And, and you're under this heavy load. And, and you're feeling the oppression of being bound by owing money to other people. It's a beautiful thing when you can get your spending under control. And God begins to bless you. Amen. There's another thing. It's called emotional freedom. That that point comes that you can be comfortable in your own skin and you can have, we heard some testimonies here today, you can have healthy relationships. It's a good thing, amen, not to go to unhealthy relationships and find more brokenness and more abuse, to be around healthy people. You know, I found a statement years ago and it said this, it says that hurting people, you know what they do? Hurting people hurt people. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of that kind of abuse, it is a terrible thing. But it is a wonderful thing that you can find emotional freedom, that you can grow comfortable in your own skin. We're talking about freedom today. Freedom. This is Freedom Sunday. The state of being free or at liberty rather than in confinement or under physical restraint. It refers to an absence of undue restrictions and an opportunity to exercise one's rights and powers. Freedom emphasizes the opportunity given for the exercise of one's rights, powers, desires, or the like. Political freedom, freedom from addiction, financial freedom, emotional freedom. But can I tell you this morning, the greatest freedom that any person can have on this planet is spiritual freedom. Spiritual freedom. All kinds of freedom that we can experience, but when a person has spiritual freedom, what do you mean when you say spiritual freedom? That we can have a freedom from sin, 
that the inclinations of our life that used to drive us, that ultimately when we fulfilled those things in our life, they brought a greater sense of condemnation and a sense of guilt and a sense of shame into our lives. That the more we did them, the blacker our soul became. The darker we began to get in our life until maybe we reached a point where we we thought to ourselves, is it possible for me to ever be different than what I am? This is all that I know. This is all that I've known. All I've known is the same cycle of sick sin in my life. But can I tell you the greatest freedom that can happen in a person's life is when Jesus comes into their life and takes away the weight of sin and shame and guilt and condemnation and all the things that weigh our soul down and the things that leave us hopeless and blank and dark, wondering are things ever going to get better? I've come to say today that there is a freedom in Jesus Christ. And there may be some that say, is it even possible for that to happen? I'm telling you right now, according to the word of God, the blood of Jesus is powerful enough. Oh, I feel like saying it today, that Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I don't care where you've gone. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far that you've slipped. If you will humble yourself before the Lord, if you will confess your need to God, he is a God that that one drip of liquid love that flows from the veins of Emmanuel is powerful enough to take away the deepest and the darkest sin of any man or woman's life that he can liberate you and set you free so that what you used to be is what you used to be. It's not what you are any longer. I'm talking about being able to rise above guilt. I'm talking about being able to look yourself in the mirror and know I've been forgiven by Jesus. I'm talking about knowing that when the enemy perches on your shoulders and begins to talk about your past, what you can say is that was before the blood. That was before I was baptized in Jesus' name. That was before I bent my knees and I confessed the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. That was before the Holy Ghost came in. But today, I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. I've been born again of the water and the spirit and I've been set free by the power of Jesus. Amen. 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 No more chains. No more bondage. I'm preaching about freedom in our lives today. In case you're wanting F-R-E-E-D-O-M. You know how many times I've looked at these letters and tried to figure out how I could reconfigure them? You know, we got mode, we got more, but at the core, you know what we got? We got free. We got free. That's what we're here today celebrating. The songs we're singing, the word we're talking is all reflecting back to the great God in heaven above who went from heaven to earth hung on a cross, bled and died, 
so that the chains that were in my life can be gone. Mm. I just taste so good, I just want to stay there. Now, the scripture I read you in the beginning here, Exodus chapter 1, tells a story. These were none other than God's people. They were God's special, called-out, covenant community. These were the people that had the customs of God. They had, they had the community of God. They had the word of God. They had the rich heritage. And we read in the beginning, there arose a king that knew not Joseph. They had the rich heritage of this guy named Joseph, who was a powerful man of preservation. He was a man of promise. That the Lord sent him on a very, very painful journey. Little did he know the dreams that he had as a young man were going to, in full fruition, they were going to bring him to painful places of being thrown in a pit and rejection being thrown in prison, being a household slave. But at the end of it all, God raised him up to be second in command of Israel or of Egypt. I tell you what today, the good news is that if God is in your present, he'll also be in your future. If God brings you to it, he can bring you through it. If the touch of God is on your life and he's got a plan in your life and you've got faith and you'll continue to maintain your integrity before the Lord, the Lord has a way because promotion doesn't come from the east or it doesn't come from the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. And you may labor under a heavy load for a long while. There may be some people that live for God and they live right and things aren't working out in their life the way that they want to. They may say, well, I pay my tithes, I go to church, I'm living for God, and yet I'm still struggling with this. But can I tell you that some things come into our life as a test. They come into our life to test us, to really say, am I going to maintain my integrity? Am I going to maintain my love for God? And can I tell you the good news here today is that if you pass the test, there is a graduation day that will come where the Lord can look down upon your life and smile upon you. And I'm telling you, in a single moment, he can turn your mourning into laughter. He can turn your pain into joy. In a single moment he can take you from a pit and he can put you on a seat of prosperity and power that no one else can do in your life because that's the kind of God that we serve. Amen. Amen. That's what he did for Joseph. And so He's, he's relegated to this place of high influence, and then the people of God, his family comes and follows him, 70 in number. They come from Israel in starvation. They end up in Egypt, well-fed. Their, their brother, their son, ends up becoming second in power in the entire kingdom of Egypt, and blessing and prosperity comes, and, and they grow from a family to a nation. It's not just the 70 that's a part of a family. Now that family is, they're tribes of people. And now they're not 70 people. They're, they're not 100,000 people. They are a nation of millions and millions of people. And they look back into their pedigree and they see Joseph was there many, many generations back. But here they are now. The Bible says that there rose up a brand new king in Egypt that did not know who Joseph was. And at this period of time, the Bible shows us that they fell out of favor with Egypt. Notice with me, Exodus 1 and 9. It says, there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, so the king of Egypt says to the Egyptians, he says, behold, the people of the children of Israel, Israel are more and mightier than we. 
So the observation of the enemy was uh, that God's people were really, really big. What precipitated the move of the king of Egypt against the people of God was a fear that the enemy had of the people of God. I want to take a slight pause here this morning and say to somebody here today that may feel like you're very, very powerless, that may feel like you don't have a whole lot going in your life, if you only knew sometime, maybe in the camp of the enemy, what the enemy is saying about you. Because behind closed doors, the enemy was afraid that if these people ever understand who they are, if these people ever get a hold of who they belong to, if these people will ever understand their true identity, if these people ever get free, oh, I don't think you're hearing me today. If these people get free, then they could overtake us. If these people could ever wake up to who they are and they staged a coup d'etat against us, they could overthrow all of Egypt. I feel like preaching about revival on this Sunday morning. I feel like preaching about Grand Rapids revival. I feel like preaching about River of Life revival. Because if we could ever recognize who we really are in Jesus, that's the reason why the enemy sometimes is going to throw everything at you but the kitchen sink. I may be preaching to people this morning that are away from the Lord. You, you're, you're not where you need to be. But the enemy's afraid of the fact that you got up this morning and you got yourself to church today. You may not have even made up your mind. You may have come here for pork. <laughs> you may have came here to win a game of cornhole. But the enemy got scared today because somebody got up. And you may not even be thinking about what you can be and what you can become. But I got good news today. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. And I'm telling you that God can do something in someone's life. And the enemy's afraid of what you can become. That's why he puts you under oppression sometimes. That's why you have dark days sometimes when you wake up and it feels like the sun is never going to shine. That's why you wake up someday and these voices are just filtering in your head saying you're nothing and you're nobody and you're going nowhere. The enemy is a liar and the enemy knows that if you ever get up, if you ever coordinate with other believers, if you ever get connected and if you ever get set free, that things will happen in your life that have the power to turn around his camp. The enemy is afraid of you and your potential. He's afraid of your potential. That's why he fights you so hard. That's why sometimes you labor under so much. According to this scripture, he said that they are more and mightier than we. The whole time he's saying that, they are slaves. You think they're looking at themselves like that? No, they're not looking at themselves like that. They're looking at themselves like slaves. We, we are owned by someone else. There are chains in our life. What could we do? And yet the enemy was saying, oh, what they could do. So much so that we've got to take care of them. 
So he says, the king of Egypt says, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass, that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so we get them out of the land. So the enemy wanted God's people pushed down. He wanted them oppressed. He wanted them so distracted by their burdens that they could never unite and overthrow his kingdom. Therefore, verse 11 says, did they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens? And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities. He sent taskmasters to afflict them. That word literally means to oppress them. That means to come down on or to keep down by unjust use of one's authority. So then he tried to put them under his thumb. Can I tell you there is one place that the enemy wants you to be? The enemy wants you to be underneath his thumb. He wants to weigh you down with heavy burdens. He wants to weigh you down by your past. He wants to weigh you down and afflict you so that you have no liberty in your life. He wants to hold you down and oppress you. Can I tell you today that oppression is a very real thing? Oppression is very real. And I wonder how many people in our world live under a heavy yoke of oppression. The truth be told. A yoke of oppression in their life. And the devil's going, ha, 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 ha. That's exactly where we want them. The Bible says in 12, the more they afflicted him, them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. God's people grieved their enemies. And the Egyptians, verse 13 says, made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. What does that mean? It got worse. The severity got worse. Things got worse. You're, you're saying like, Pastor, are, are, are you going to encourage us yet? I tell you something. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things in your life, some of you, I, just, I, I, come to, I have come to encourage you. I have come to help you. Because I know some people, they start to make their move toward freedom. They start to make their move toward God. And guess what? Things get worse. Why do you think sometimes things get worse? Because the enemy knows that if he can stop you as you begin this pursuit toward freedom, if he can stop you before you get there and he can get you to quit, if he can get you to stop pursuing freedom, that you'll never get freedom. I like to preach about a breakthrough this morning. Sometimes when the going gets rough, that's when the rough needs to start reaching out to God and push back. Sometimes when oppression comes your way, you can't just fold like a, you know, like, 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 like a cheap card table. You, you can't just fold and give in and throw in the towel and say, oh, I guess it's just always going to be this way for me. I guess it's all. Sometimes when you're making a move in the right direction, you got to put your head down and push your way through and keep on moving forward. Because the enemy, if he can get you to stop going to church, 
if he can get you to stop your move toward repentance, if you can, he can get you to stop doing the right things and you quit, you'll never get to that place of freedom. But can I tell you that there is a breakthrough that can happen if you stick with it. There is a God that is orchestrating, administrating, and organizing your deliverance if you'll keep on keeping on. Oh, praise God. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner. It was like they were concrete guys, Gabe. And service in the field and all their service wherein they made them serve and work with, with rigor. Okay, so, so here's the setup. This is what I want to talk about here today, all right? Do you realize that sometimes, and, and some of you are going to misinterpret the, the ways of God, and I want to help you with that, okay? Listen to what I'm saying. Sometimes God allows the enemy room in your life, just enough room to put pressure on you. Sometimes God will allow the oppressor to come. He'll only allow him sometimes to come so far, but he'll give him enough liberty and freedom in your life to mess with you enough, to put enough pressure in your life that you come to a breaking point in your life. Come on, somebody. Sometimes he'll bring you to a place where there's enough difficulty and there's enough trial and there's enough pressure that you want to be like the lady that says, Calgon, take me away. I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Sometimes the Lord will allow the enemy to come with enough depression, depression and oppression to get you frustrated enough that you will come to the place in your life that you're sick of it. Because sometimes we tolerate things that we ought not to tolerate. Sometimes we put up with stuff that we ought not to put up with, and we can deal with it. And God says, okay, we're just going to allow the heat to be turned up a little bit, and the enemy is on a short leash. And God says, okay, we'll let them have just a little more room, because that room that, that, that he takes in their life and bringing more rigorous bondage to them will create in them something inside that says, something must change in my life. Something's got to get better in my life life and he turns up the heat until it's almost a boil until we get to a point where we say that something has to change in my life and that's exactly where the children of Israel were it says it came to pass 2 and 23 that the king of Egypt died the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried they sighed and they cried they sighed and they cried Oh, God, I'd like to talk about this for a while. And the Bible says, notice, their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now, I'm just going to say this and preface what I'm going to say before I say it. I felt this week as I prayed that this is the point where the message is going to hit home for somebody. And I all through all today, I heard it. Oh, this same word come up over and over. I heard it in the singing. I heard it in our pre-service prayer time over and over again. Listen, 
The Bible says that when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord heard their cry. When they cried out to the Lord, it wasn't until they got to a point where the oppression had been so great for so long that they couldn't take it anymore. It wasn't until they, they had been so constrained by this situation, by the pain and the difficulty and, and, and the rigorous taskmasters that were over. It wasn't until they got to a point where they said, oh God, we can't take it anymore. Oh God, this has gotten beyond what we can handle anymore. We've dealt with this for years and years and years. But there came a point in time when the Bible says uh, that they cried out to the Lord. Uh, something from within broke inside of them and said it's time for a change in my life. Uh, something's got to change in my life. Uh, I'm desperate enough uh, that I'll open my mouth uh, and I'll cry out to God. And the Bible says that when they cried out to God uh, God heard their cry. Mm, 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 mm. I, I heard Vienna say it. I heard Julie say it. There, there comes a point where you cry out to God for help. In fact, Julie's scripture, Psalm 118 and 5, I wrote it down, such a beautiful psalm, says, when I cried out to the Lord, that when I cried out to God, when I got to a place, when I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, when I got to a place that I couldn't handle it anymore, when I got to a place where just playing church wouldn't work anymore, when I got to a place where just being religious didn't work anymore, and I got to a place that I got desperate for God in my life, when I got to the place that I had to crawl through whatever I had to crawl through, I had to push through whatever I had to push through, that I had to open my mouth at the top of my lungs and cry out to God to a point that God, something's got to change in my life, that when I cried out to the Lord, that's when the Lord heard my cry. What are you saying? I'm saying you got to get to a place where you're, it doesn't matter who's sitting next to you. You got to get to a place in your life. It doesn't matter who else is in your life. You got to get to a place in life where you don't care what anybody else does. You got to come to a place in your life that you say, whatever happens, I, I need out of this situation. Whatever happens, I need God to do something for me. And can I tell you something about the Lord? That when the Lord hears a desperate cry, he's a good God. He's a good God. And he hears that passionate cry and he comes through and he delivers those that cry out to him. If you want to play, you'll probably not get anywhere with God. But if you're serious, and this church is filled with people who got serious with God and the Lord heard their cry and the Lord stepped in and he delivered them. I'm going to say a phrase and this is an important phrase. How many would like to see the miraculous hand of God at work? I want to see them. I'm talking about the miraculous hand of God at work. 
I'd like to see the miraculous hand of God at work, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. I'm standing here just bawling like a baby hearing these testimonies and thinking, oh God, this is what it's all about. People's lives being changed. This is what it's all about. Do you want to see miracles? Let me tell you how you see miracles. Listen, desperation is the birthplace of the miraculous. I'm going to say it again. Desperation is the birthplace of the miraculous. And I can validate what I'm saying over and over in Scripture because it was the woman that had the issue of blood. She, she, was, she, she paid all that she had. She maxed all of her credit cards. She, she mortgaged her house. She put a second mortgage on her house. She took all the cash that she had to go to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor, and nobody could help her. But one day she heard that Jesus was coming. And she heard that, gee, what you didn't know about this lady is that she wasn't allowed because she had this bloody situation the law forbid her from touching anyone because she was unclean but so bold was she when she found out that hope was on its way that she got on her hands and knees and she crawled through the crowd and she got to a place because Jesus was there nobody else really noticed her but something happened that this woman in a moment reached out to the hem of his garment and said if I can just touch the hem of his garment that which is in him can be transformed transferred to me. His clean can make my dirty clean. His, his miracle power can take my desperate situation and make it better. And she pressed through the crowd and she touched him. And in a moment, what Jesus had inside of himself was transferred to her. And let me tell you what, Jesus knows when that happens. Because he says, he makes a statement, he said, who touched me? <laughs> And the disciples are like, uh, well, duh, there's like 5,000 people that are mauling you. But he said, well, there's a difference between a touch and a touch. There's a difference. It's yes, it's desperation. Everybody else was just trying to get their hands on him. Yeah, okay, this is this famous guy. This is all that. A lot of people were just coming for the, well, they couldn't eat pork, but they were coming for the pork. You get the metaphor, right? They were just, but there was somebody in the crowd that said, oh, but he's got something I really need. I'm not just going to be a part of Jesus' fan club. I'm not just there to watch him pull rabbits out of hats. But there was somebody that says, he's God in flesh. He's Messiah. He has what I need. And I'm going to desperately reach out to him. And in a moment, it all turned around. Just like that. Because desperation is the birthplace of the miraculous. That's why we boldly proclaim in this church, bring your problems to church. This is a church, in case you're wondering, for people that have problems. <laughs> if you want a perfect church, we had it until you came. I didn't know I was going to come to Freedom Sunday to be offended. No, some people are looking at that, but it's, it is. I'm not saying that we, that we should stay that way. I'm not saying that we're going to stay that way. But, but, but gee, the, you know who needs the physician? The sick need the physician. The broken need the physician. The messed up need the physician. The psychotic need the physician. The addicted need the physician. Amen. The pornographer needs the physician. And one touch of Jesus in a moment of desperation if somebody gets real. Jesus can take that person in that condition and he can can turn their situation around. 
Blind Bartimaeus cries out, Oh, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And they're like, Shut up, man. You're making a scene. <laughs> now and then in church, somebody's going to make a scene. <laughs> Sorry. I got to recommend another church, you know, if you don't ever want that to happen. What are you saying? This, this is what it means, though. Watch Acts 2 and 21. People have botched this scripture for, for decades. And it, Acts 2 and 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me read you another one. Romans 10, 13. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. The children of Israel cried by reason of their bondage. Their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. God heard their inarticulate groaning. God heard them, their desperate cry. And when God heard that cry, he stepped in just like that. He is attracted to desperate need. He is attracted to those that will reach out to him. Listen, a half-hearted pursuit of God is an endless quest. If you just search after God halfway, halfway, you'll never find him. But if you're hungry for God and you're desperate for God, can I tell you that he will be found in a moment because he hears the desperate cry. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's something about calling on Jesus. Calling on Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I'm tied up, I'm bound, I need help in my life. I've got limitations. I'm oppressed. I need help, Jesus. And this story in the Bible out of Exodus 1 and 2 is one of the greatest deliverances, one of the greatest deliverance stories in all of the Bible. It is referred to and referenced to over and over again. The book of Psalms, they talk about the Red Sea deliverance. They talk about how God showed himself mightily. That, that Pharaoh's horses and chariots were swallowed up in that sea. And one of the greatest deliverance stories in the Bible but they needed a leader to lead them out. God sent them Moses, referenced over and over and over again, the miracles, the rod that turns into a snake that turns back into a rod. Nile turned into blood, fleas and boils and hail and death angel and firstborn and all this and Passover. The death angel passes over all those houses and it was only the houses that had the applied blood upon the doorpost that the death angel flew over them and God was in the middle of organizing a deliverance in this great nation of Israel. He was wanting to bring them out. He was putting everything, throwing everything at his disposal in one of the most pivotal moments in the entire Old Testament when they get stuck at a massive impassable Red Sea. One man takes a staff and smites the sea and the sea splits and dry land opens and millions of people walk through on dry ground and they look back and their enemy is following and rampaging after them but when they step on the other side the Lord closes that up and all of their enemy is destroyed in the water in a moment man I like to talk about water baptism in Jesus name don't have time you'll have to come back next Sunday maybe for that Tell me baptism doesn't matter. Baptism is just a public profession of your faith. Baloney. It's not a public profession of your faith. They, they, they weren't walking through that Red Sea to be like, hey, we believe in God. They walked through that Red Sea in obedience so that when they got through to the other side, that the sea would close in upon their enemy and God would destroy their enemy in the water. In the water. The enemy gets destroyed in the water. The old man is crucified with Christ. 
Amen. It's for the remission of sins. The old man, the enemy, the devil. He no longer has authority after I go through the water. And God is orchestrating this deliverance and he gives them a a pillar of fire in the middle of the night. Oh, that would have been cool. You're out camping and you look up and it's like, and you're like this pulsating ball of fire in the sky. And you're like, God is with us. Go ahead, devil, take that. And during the day, there's a big pillar of cloud that's, and they're looking, it's like undulating. It's, it's God. God's spirit is leading them out of Egypt through the wilderness into their promised land because God's saying your freedom is worth something. I'm taking you somewhere. I got a plan for your life. I got something that I want to do with you. I'm so thankful that God's got a plan for our life. But they needed a leader. Thank God Jesus is our Moses. He is the ultimate leader. Come on, that's weak. We need to give God a little better praise than that. Jesus is our Moses. Bible says in Corinthians 10 they were baptized unto Moses. We're not baptized unto Moses. We're baptized unto Jesus. We got the name of Jesus. He's our leader. He's our savior. He's our God. He's our deliverer. What are you saying? God is trying to confirm a fact to all of us that he is working for our freedom and for our salvation. Freedom begins with deliverance. Deliverance. No more chains. We sang the song today, being free. No more chains. We don't have physical chains, but sometimes we have spiritual chains, mental chains, emotional chains, relational chains. But oh, thank God the Lord can break these chains off of us so that he is orchestrating our deliverance so that we can have freedom in him. Look at your neighbor and say, God doesn't want you to be bound. He doesn't want you bound. Because bondage, your will is subjugated. You're doing what you don't really want to do. Others control you. Things control you. Systems control you. Emotions control you captured, bound, ugly, enslavement and slavery, incarceration, limitation, anxiety, pain, worries, greed, anger, bitterness, worries, depression, political division, stress, guilt, shame, condemnation, abuse, bullying, incarceration, pills, mental, porn, sexual things. Can I tell you that God delights in breaking these chains off of our life? God doesn't want us running around carrying baggage in our life. I got this backpack right here. If I wasn't so unusually strong, most of y'all couldn't. I wouldn't want to give this to Gabe. I don't know if he could handle it. I'm Gabe's personal trainer in case you're wondering. I've been working on him for a while. I have him spot me now and then. But you know what? It's it's really hard to go through life carrying just stuff. Stuff, pain, hurts, 
addictions, mess, stuff in our head, stuff in our hearts, and we're and it's really hard, and 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 you're just you're you're struggling through life, and you're just carrying this heavy load. Oh God, I want to tell you today, God doesn't want you carrying that heavy load. He's interested in your deliverance. He's interested in your freedom. He wants you to be free. You don't have to be bound. I know I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of Christian people, but you know, I know Christian people that still carry baggage from their past. God wants to free you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't walk with God and this fits you and this is where you're at and you're struggling through life and you're just like, you know, here's, here's what I hear a lot of people say. Well, I just want to be a good person. I'm just going to be a good person. Well, good luck with that. I'm just, I'm just going to be candid. It's the only way I know how to be. We'll call it Bible boldness. Listen, you cannot be good by yourself. Your personal effort and energy, no matter how hard you try, I'm going to be moral. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to treat people nice. Can I tell you, the Bible says that our own, that our, that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. I could get really gross here today and tell you what the Bible means in the Old Testament by that. You're shaking your head. That makes me want to say it. He's talking about an old, he's talking about the menstrual cloth. That's what he's talking about. That's what your righteousness is like. Yeah. You're righteous. You, you try to be good. You try, I'm just going to be good. I'm just going to, I just, I, I'm, I'm doing okay. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing, no, you're not. No, you're not. But God won't force himself. He won't take his size 16 shoe, kick down your front screen door and say, there's a new sheriff in town. I'm here or else. God doesn't work. I wish he did. In fact, <laughs> If he'd let me. You say, well, why? Because I want people to be saved. Sometimes we want people to be saved more than they want to be saved. It's true. You know, you can want people to be saved more than they want to be saved, and they're not going to be saved. All you can do sometimes is just say, okay, God, let hell loose on them. Okay, God, just bathe them in pain. You say, that's a terrible thing. I don't know. God, you have your way. You do whatever you got to do. Because the Bible says when they got to a point in their life where they were so overwhelmed, the time came under rigorous taskmasters and bondage when they finally said, enough is enough. Okay, okay. I need you, God. I need you, God. And in a moment, the Lord came through for them when they cried out to the Lord in their distress. God heard them, and God sent them a deliverer, and he took them through a dynamic process of deliverance so they walk through and walk through the waters and were freed from their enemy when they followed God's process. You got to put the backpack down and say enough is enough. I'm sick of it. And then you got to be willing to walk the life that God wants you to walk, which is a way of freedom. Praise God. Music, you can come. I'm, I'm done freedom. That's what we're here to celebrate today. We're here to celebrate freedom. That's the final thought I'm going to, I'm going to leave with you. And I, I read this this week and it was, it was profound to me. If you're taking notes, I'll note takers. I'd encourage you to write this down. Soren Kierkegaard made this statement. He said, and I quote, now with God's help, I shall become myself. Now with God's help, 
I shall become myself. What do you think that means? There's an inferior version of me, and there's a superior version of me. There's a bad version of me, and there's a good version of me. I tell people unashamedly, without Jesus, I'm not a good guy. Thank you for agreeing with me. I know me better than you know me. And don't you say true. (laughs) My wife just said true. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I know that's true. (laughs) I've seen you on your bad days. (laughs) Well, it's true, though. It's true. It is true. I'm not a good good guy. I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good citizen. I'm not. I'm a terrible pastor. I'm not. I am nothing without him. Period. You say, why do you have a prayer life? Because I'm going to be a bad dude without one. It's true. I mean, without him, what what am I going to be? Ron, what are we going to be without God? Give me a break. This whole self-induced, self-promoted, self-created righteousness, good luck. But can can I say, I am so thankful to Jesus that he reaches his hand down to us in our desperate condition. And he who is high reaches us who are low. He who is great reaches for us who are insignificant. And he'll he'll pick us up out of the muck and out of the mire. He'll free us. He'll clean us up. He'll help us if we seek him and desire him in our lives. He He will help us. And I love this quote. Now with God's help, I shall become myself because my best self is in Jesus. True identity is unlocked in us by God. His help, his work in our lives. It's like, okay, Riley. We're so glad Riley's been baptized. She's in... So it's kind of like, right, this is what happens. God, you give this time and God, you're going to be like a trophy in God's trophy case. And God's going to say like, here's the new and improved version. You've known this version for all these years, some of y'all. And then all of a sudden it's like, here's the new and improved version. Like Paul, some of you guys know Paul. Paul's been, you know, he's been in the church forever. He's an elder in the church. He's been around here forever. He's a guy you don't want to meet in a back alley 40 years ago. Ask him about it. A pipe wrench will come up in the conversation. I will guarantee you. So what do you mean by that? Because that's what they did in Wisconsin. They were rabble rousers, rowdy, beat people up, violent. You look, you say, man, he looks pretty mild to me now. Yeah, now. Now. Because listen, that's what Jesus does. He makes a new and improved version of us. It is unlocked in Jesus Christ. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He rebuilds me. He restores me. He cleanses me. He gives me a new identity. I'm a new creature in Christ. Now I can become myself. Stand together with me today.